Good morning. Our Old Testament lesson is found in Psalms chapter 149, which is on page 624 of the Church Bible. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in his honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. Here ends the Old Testament lesson. The epistle is found in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 14 on page 1220. the great multitude in white robes. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here ends the epistle. And in respect to the gospel, please rise as you are able. Gospel is found in Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12, found on page 958. Introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. 
his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say kind, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God's grace and God's mercy, his, his peace, these are yours through our Lord and our Savior Jesus. We're going to look at the New Testament lesson for today from Revelation chapter 7. I'd like to read again verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, may these words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Well, as you may or may not know, our, our son Marty is a, a pastor at Cross of Christ Lutheran Church in Anthem, Arizona. And obviously we're biased, but Karen and I think that our son is a pretty good pastor. <laughs> and he preaches a pretty good sermon. In fact, uh, every Sunday when we go home over lunch, what we do is we watch the live stream of their late service, which now with daylight savings times messes up, up a little bit. We were two hours ahead of them. So their 10 o'clock service for us starts at noon, works great. But now we're only one hour ahead of them. So it'll just be a replay of, of the service. But we enjoy watching both him and the senior pastor that he works with. We enjoy their messages and God is blessing their ministry. And, and no, uh, Marty is not open to a call at this time. <laughs> He very much feels that he is exactly where God wants him to be. Well, the reason I bring Marty up is because this morning I'm going to kind of borrow something from him. Last Sunday, he began a, ser a series of messages on the questions that Jesus asked. You know that there are 305 questions that Jesus asked that are recorded in the Bible? Marty kind of teased the folks. He said, you know what, if Kevin and I preach on each one of those questions, that's a pretty long series of sermons, isn't it? <laughs> well, last Sunday, the question that was featured that Jesus asked was this one. What can I do for you? That was Jesus' response to a blind beggar who, when he learned that Jesus was in the passing by, cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus had the man brought to him, and then it says that Jesus asked him, 
what do you want me to do for you? And Marty used that text to go on to preach a wonderful sermon about prayer and about how prayer really is Jesus coming and asking us, initiating the process, what do you want me to do for you? And how that invites us and opens it up for us to bring him our cares and our burdens and our concerns because, because he's standing there asking, what can I do for you? So here's what I want to borrow from Marty. As I read today's New Testament lesson, I noticed that there are two questions in there that are asked about heaven. And I got to wondering how many questions about heaven are there in the Bible? Well, I don't have an exact answer to that question. Just my best guesstimate of how many there are. There, there are the two that we find in, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 13, and then according to my memory and, and my knowledge of Scripture, I could think of five more questions that are in the Bible asking stuff about heaven. So that makes a total of seven. Well, now, as I share those questions today, if another one of those questions comes to mind, or you know another question in Scripture uh, about heaven, uh, please feel free to share it with me at some point in time, if you would. But today we're going to look at these seven questions and answers, kind of a heavenly Q&A session on this All Saints Sunday to help us understand as best we can and appreciate and be comforted uh, in knowing heaven and, and the heavenly experience that our loved ones who are there, what it's like for them, as well as to give you and me hope as we continue to walk through this life on our journey and pilgrimage to heaven. A little heavenly Q&A. Now, I think one of the more interesting questions about heaven was, oddly enough, asked by a group of people who didn't believe in heaven or in believe in everlasting life. And that, that was a, the Sadducees, a sect of the, of the Jewish faith. And they were trying to trip Jesus up with regards to what they had heard Jesus teaching about heaven and about life after death and the resurrection. And so they come to Jesus and they tell him this story about this woman who marries the oldest of seven brothers. And unfortunately, the husband dies before he's able to have any children with this woman. And according to something that Moses said then, as the Sadducees go on to tell the story, the next brother in line was obligated to marry that woman and produce a child. And so he did marry her, but he too died before they were able to have any children. And, and so the story goes, they go through all seven brothers, each one marrying this woman. And I got to tell you, by the time it gets to the fourth or fifth brother, I'm kind of asking myself, do I really want to marry this woman? <laughs> but each one marries her, and each one dies before they father a child. And so then the Sadducees wrap it all up by asking a question. Now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Do you remember Jesus' answer? He said this to these Sadducees. He's pretty blunt and honest. He says, you know, you're an heir 
because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Okay, so what's the takeaway from this heavenly question and answer? Well, here's what I take away from it. You know, there are other places in Scripture that teach us and tell us that we will know one another in heaven, won't we? Like the words from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which says, Now I know in part, but then I will know even as I am fully known. And then, of course, you've got the transfiguration of Jesus. He's up there with Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appear. Now Peter, James, and John had never seen him before, but they knew exactly who those men were, weren't they? And so we will know one another when we are in heaven. And, and that's a, a great deal of comfort to me. I will know Karen. And she will, will know me. But we will no longer be husband and wife. She'll no longer be my wife. I'll no longer be her husband. Which the takeaway of that is encourages us to this. Marriage is a gift for now. Enjoy the gift of your marriage now. Enjoy the gift of your spouse now. And do all you can as you walk together through this life as husband and wife. Do all you can toward helping your partner make it to heaven. To walk with you until the Lord calls you home so that you can be part of that blessed reunion in heaven. So that's Q&A and takeaway number one. Take care of each other, those who are married. Take care of your spouse with eternity in mind. Okay? So do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? It also was a result of somebody who was trying to challenge Jesus. As it says here, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked... What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's another question about heaven, isn't it? Well, Jesus answered the man's question with the parable of the Good Samaritan so as to teach this man who wanted to justify himself that heaven won't be a matter of you earning it or deserving it or somehow working your way there. There won't be any self-justified people in heaven. And in essence, the answer that Jesus is giving this man takes us to the two questions in Revelation and the answer that is given about who inherits eternal life. These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And the answer that's given, the people who are in heaven have been justified and forgiven by the blood of of Jesus Christ. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And our takeaway from this heavenly Q&A, not too long ago I was visiting with a person 
who's having a, a, a lot of, of health issues and whose, whose life is frail. And they're aware of that as they're advancing in years and, and very much aware in this part of time of life, as I, I know I am, that my days are numbered and our days are, are, are limited. And, and, and we were talking quite a bit about dying and in particular about him and his dying day. And, and he sat up with all of the strength and intensity that he could as we were talking about heaven and about his going to heaven. And he said, the first thing that I'm going to do when I get there is I'm going to apologize to Jesus. I'm going to tell Jesus about how sorry I am for all the parts of my life that I tried to live without him. Greatly burdened by sins that he couldn't forget. And I simply looked at him and I said this. I said, you're going to have nothing to apologize for. Because when you go to heaven, you're going to be given this white robe, which means God has forgiven you head to toe of every and all sins. You will have nothing to apologize for because he has forgiven all of your sins, especially the ones that you still remember. That's the answer that's given in Revelation, isn't it? These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. That's a reference to life, okay? This life is a great tribulation. It's full of troubles, isn't it? And burdens. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, not too surprisingly, yet another question about heaven essentially brings us to the same place and the same answer. This is a question that was asked by Thomas after he listened to Jesus talk about going to prepare a place for them and that the disciples, he said to the disciples that they knew the way to the place where Jesus was going, to which Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, which brings us right back to the answer that's given to the two questions in Revelation chapter 7, doesn't it? These are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Now, the, the last two questions about heaven that I know of are, are questions which bring us lots of comfort when we hear the answers to the questions. And, and how these questions help us and comfort us, not only at the point of death of our loved ones when we are burying them, but also as we think about our own time, our own day, when someone will place us in our graves. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Here come the questions. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? And the second question, where, O oh, death, is your sting? The answer to those questions is short 
and sweet. Death has no eternal sting. Death has no eternal victory because the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 again, aren't we? These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that when it comes to the glory of heaven, do you remember the, the verse that I used with the children? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived or has been able to imagine that which the Lord God has prepared for those who love him. That's our side of eternity, isn't it? We haven't seen it yet. We haven't heard it yet. We don't know it all yet, but someday we will. Someday, through Jesus, we'll be there. But for their side, and there is our loved ones who have died in the Lord. They're seeing it with their eyes. They're hearing it with their ears. And they are knowing it with their mind and their heart as, as, as fully as anyone can know it. They, they understand it. That this will never end for them. Oh, what joy is theirs. For God himself has wiped away every tear from their eyes. And may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Let's stand and confess.